0: Hey, folks, there's never a bad time of year to go visit SteelUSA.com and go shopping. That's S-T-I-H-L to help out your yard, to help out, uh, make your property as beautiful as it can be. As I said, never a bad time of year. But right now is a particularly great time of year because they have all kinds of sales for the holiday season. Handheld blowers, handheld pruners. I have one of those. Shop Vac, the HSA 45 Hedge Trimmer. Right now, all of those items are on sale, so you'll get a wonderful price. But you got to check out their great, and I mean great number of different items to help you make your house beautiful. It's Steel, S T I H L. Go to steeldealers.com to find the nearest dealer around uh, your neighborhood, and there's one, I guarantee you, because there's more than 10,000 around the country. Again, it is Steel. They are terrific. They're world-renowned. S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA.com, steeldealers.com This week... On the Drew Goodman Podcast, the Broncos steal a win and the Bills choke. How on earth they had 12 guys out on the field? Coach Prime is confused about a late game maneuver. When asked about it after, Dion, I think, was, was confused as to what the question was.
1: And that time, a general manager visited a hitting coach at his house. The general manager is going to drive to my town hall to see me like at 10 o'clock in the morning. And he goes, and now we need to talk about you. And I'm yeah? Yeah. <laughs> And he goes, I'd really really like you to step in and be the interim manager. Never saw it coming. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast, wherever you find podcasts, and tell the 12th man on the field. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. What? He missed it. But the flag is down. 12 men on defense. Five-yard penalty. Wow. And this will move the ball inside the 20, and it becomes a 36-yard game-winning field goal attempt by Will Lutz.
0: There's nothing guaranteed. Good snap, good hold.
1: Kick, perfect. And the Broncos have come to Buffalo, and they're going to leave with a win, 24-22, to get to 4-5
0: doesn't love a Take-Two? Take-Two in life is a good thing. Think of all the different areas in one's life. If you had a Take-Two, you would take advantage of it. Will Lutz did that, the Broncos did that, and they steal a victory from Buffalo on Monday night. An unlikely victory, though if you watched the game, as I'm sure you did, Buffalo did everything. And I mean everything in their power to hand the Broncos the football game. But guess what? Nobody cares at the end of the year. Broncos have now won three in a row. They are four and five. And in a league that uh, doesn't necessarily have one or two teams where you say they are clearly above everyone else. Yeah, you could make that argument For Philadelphia. You could make that argument for Kansas City, though they've had some blips in the road. They lost two weeks ago, as we know, to the Broncos. Uh, You know, the 49ers had lost a bunch of games in the road. They rebounded and went down in Jacksonville. But it's kind of the the middle portion of the season. The NFL discussed this last week. It's the dog days of the NFL season. You get upsets. And I'm sure in New York, they're excited that there are many, many teams now, including the Broncos, that have somewhat realistic playoff aspirations. Now, from the Broncos' perspective, there's a long way to go. I mean, they're not that far removed from the debacle down in Miami, giving up 70 points. And, and, And while I mention that, how about, you know, a little bit of a, a little more than a golf clap, maybe not a standing ovation, but a little bit more than a golf clap for Vance Joseph and his defense. They made some changes there, and they went from, everyone and probably literally everyone in Broncos country calling for Vance Joseph's head to guess what? Last month, pretty good defense, holding teams for the most part in the teens offensively, and they're winning football games. Got to give credit where credit's due. He's kind of turned things around. You know, I've been reluctant to praise some of the methodology of uh, of Sean Payton, and certainly some of the things he said going back to the summer and now the uh, well-chronicled criticism of his predecessor. But Sean Payton, he deserves credit also. They've won three football games in a row, they've, they've kept it together. They haven't gone the other direction. So, uh, good for the Broncos. And what did I take out of this uh, victory? Well, first of all, going back to the final snap of the game, and that was ultimately the second opportunity for Will Lutz to kick the game-winning field goal. I'll start from Bef- Buffalo's standpoint. How on earth, when you know what the Broncos are going to do, you are if you've been on any football sideline in your life at any level, you know it's, hey, field goal block, get ready. Field goal block, get ready, because they're about to run out on the field. And those 11 guys know who's on field goal block. And again, they had they had ample opportunity not to foul this up because the Broncos put a knee down, I'll get to that in a moment a couple times before running their field goal unit out there. How on earth they had 12 guys out on the field and they practice this. In fact, it was it was discussed in, in Buffalo's post mortem. After you practice that, you practice getting teams on and off the field, specialty team. All those things are practiced during the week at every legitimate level, and how they F that up is you know crazy. Now, from the Broncos' standpoint, and I know this is being debated around town today. Why not, instead of the rush job of, of running your, your field goal unit out, out there, and there was mid-20s in terms of seconds left when they did it, which is plenty of time. It, it's around 16 seconds to be able to do it um, and, and get your field goal unit out on the field and get the snap off, get lined up and, and get the snap off. That's practiced as well. In this case, the Broncos. I know they were definitely afraid of giving any kind of time to Josh Allen and letting him make a play or two. Or there's a pass interference, and and next thing you know, is Buffalo um, is kicking a game-winning field goal. Potentially, I understand that, but I still think you could have run it down close enough and gotten the clock stop by throwing the ball you know, spiking the football or any number of ways to throw an incompletion and get the clock stopped so you can comfortably get your field goal unit on the field. Again, you practice where you have to race them on the field. That wasn't necessary because they had already gotten into field goal range after the PI call. So I, I I was questioning that in real time. This is not in the aftermath. Lutz misses the field goal, and then he gets a second opportunity, um, and he wins it. Uh, again, going back, you you can't talk about this win without talking about how bad Buffalo was. They kept turning the football over, and I know the Broncos didn't take great advantage of a number of those turnovers, uh, but they but they did enough. They certainly. Did enough. Uh, Josh Allen is is an enigma. He is so splendidly talented. He's so big and strong, and literally can make every throw in the book. While I'm watching that game, and I'm not the first person I'm sure to make this comparison, it reminded me. He reminded me of John Elway. He's a bigger version, even though John, especially when he played, you know, big dude. You know, John was with about six three and two hundred and fifteen pounds, which um was was certainly a good size quarterback, especially as athletic as he was, because he could run and, and we know he could throw the ball, you know, through uh you know through any window you could imagine. Well Josh Allen's six five and about two fifty. So he's even bigger than Elway. And he can run. He likes to run. He likes to be physical and he has unbelievable confidence in his arm he has marvelous arm talent but he's the same guy as Elway in that John would force the ball John would throw picks John would say I can get it in that window I can throw it across my body as I'm rolling left and and throw it back toward the middle of the field and sometimes he would get burned and that's what we see with Josh Allen he also throws such a damn fastball that guys don't always snatch the ball Gabe Davis should have caught that ball in the first half. Instead, it goes off of his hands and it becomes a relatively easy pick for Justin Simmons. That's probably less on Josh Allen and certainly more on Gabe Davis. But um, it it popped into my head as I'm watching that game uh, unfold. Now you're looking at a Buffalo team that, that everyone thought would be in the mix, and they felt that the last few years. And with their schedule, which is quite daunting the rest of the way, they may be sitting home, and they may be lamenting that Monday night loss to the Broncos. And from Denver's standpoint, the other thing that, for me, comes out of this game, and and this has been building really all year, but now at this little three-game win streak, Russell Wilson's your quarterback going forward. Russell Wilson's played well. I know it's hard to get the, the stench out of many fans in Bronco country from a year ago. But Russell's played well. And with any young quarterback, whoever you could draft, and now the Broncos probably are not going to be drafting, and they don't have draft capital, as you know, the move for Sean Payton, the move for Russell Wilson— they're not going to be drafting at the top of the draft. You're not doing better than Russell Wilson. And I don't know if if this is, you know, three or four years down the road where, where Russell Wilson's still the quarterback. But I think certainly this year, certainly next year, Russell Wilson's your guy. And you can win. He's helping you win. It's not like, okay, you can win despite him. He's helping you win. I mean that scramble on fourth down and the throw and a better catch by Cortland Sutton. Really, it's not so much the catch, the fact that he was able to keep, you know, his toes in bounds. That was a, a marvelous play. But the throw was in the only place possible, and his ability to shake free and avoid the sack by Shaq Lawson. I mean, that's the stuff that made him legendary in the Pacific Northwest. You got to give credit where credits due. And Russell Wilson has played well. He's played very well for the most part. And it's not all about glorious stats and how many yards you you throw for. He's taking care of the ball. At times where there's nothing there, he recognizes it quickly and gets some positive yards with his feet. Um, he, he's a different guy from a year ago. And, and again, you got to give Sean Payton credit from that standpoint uh, also. So the Broncos get ready for Minnesota. Um, don't know what will happen there. I, nobody can sit here unequivocally and tell you, yeah, the Broncos are arrived, man. They're going to take care of business at home. Every week it, it seems to be somewhat of a mystery. But they're competing. They're playing hard. You know the locker room has great belief now, has great energy. I think it's going to be a hell of a game with the Vikings. Dobbs, is is there a better story in the NFL this year this, this kid who was, you know, a 4-0 student in college and and is, is literally like a rocket scientist, uh, goes from Arizona where he was, uh, you know, doing nice things, goes to Minnesota, um, and he picks up their offense in like two days, plays great in week one, plays even better in week two. He's a great story. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward, to, uh, looking forward to that game. And it's nice to see uh, the Broncos playing uh, for something moving forward. I don't know where it goes, but they've improved. They've improved on both sides of the ball considerably, uh, clearly on the offensive uh, side, or excuse me, on the defensive side of things. Speaking of a team that has not improved, speaking of a team that uh, is playing out the string, my New York football giants. Bad, bad, bad. They've lost to the Dallas Cowboys twice this year. I think they've lost 13 or 14 to their rivals in the NFC East. They've they've lost like 100 and something to, you know, the 12 over over the two games this year. I'm embellishing, but only slightly. Um, It it took me to um, a spot where from a fan base, if you're a New York Giant fan, you want them with the first pick in the draft and a chance perhaps, you know, to get... Caleb Williams or the May kid out of North Carolina. Yet what we cannot forget as fans is if you're an athlete, if you're a coach, if you're inside a locker room and you're you're preparing to play a game that week, you don't care about some quarterback at North Carolina or Southern Cal. You're about competing and trying to win even if you are woefully shorthanded. So it's, it's really easy, again, from a standpoint of a fan to say, man, just keep losing, man, keep losing to get that first pick, which guarantees you nothing because you don't know if the first pick pans out. Oftentimes it does, and some of the time it does not. But it got me thinking about uh, how we look at things and then how, again, you know, team I followed my whole life, the Giants and Brian Dayball. Uh, you know how they look at things. They're trying to win because they're paid to win. Even though, even if they win a couple more times, they probably would be better off not winning in terms of their at least immediate future. Let's segue to college football. Colorado again plays well. Uh, plays uh, in, in this case against Arizona, an entertaining game, but they lose again. And not going to break down this game tremendously. The Buffs have been in every game. We've talked about that, save the the Oregon game in Eugene. They've been in every game. Unfortunately, other than the Colorado State game, which was close, and the TCU game out of the gate, they haven't won the close game. They haven't been able to win the close game. Against Arizona State, they won. Other than that, they haven't won the close games. And each week, you can find fault with clock management, with certain decisions. Like late in the game, they should have let Arizona score because their only chance was to get the football back and try to do something on the offensive side of things once Arizona... Had reached, uh, you know, inside the five-yard line because the, you you assume the the game-winning field goal at that point is a fate to complete. So, when asked about it after Dion, I think was was confused as to what the question was. What you know, like, no, we're just competing hard, playing hard, as opposed to no, strategically, they would have been better off letting Arizona score. It also takes me to a couple of firings already, and most notably Jimbo Fisher uh, was let go after beating Mississippi State last week. Both coaches got fired. Jimbo Fisher's A and M team won big. He got fired. Mississippi State's first year head coach who had replaced Mike Leach after Mike Leach suddenly had passed away. He gets let go. But I want to talk about Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher's owed in excess of $75 million. Now, I know down there in College Station, they'll just make a call or two to a couple of oil folks, and uh, and, and voila, they'll have their $75 million. It's actually going to cost them probably more than $100 million, because there's going to be some assistant coaches that they have to pay off. And then wherever they go for their next head coach, Chances are they're going to have to pay for the buyout of that coach from whatever university he comes from. Hundred million dollars. Jimbo Fisher was the guy they had to have. Did such a marvelous job at Florida State, and now they're going to pay as you know Jimbo Fisher in excess of seventy-five million. You're going to cost them a hundred plus million, and there were some people who said, "Man." we shouldn't pay these these college kids they are getting a free education bullshit you kidding me they're throwing around 100 million dollars and you're worried about you know the, the wide receiver making 100 grand even in the case of some guys like reportedly Shador Sanders making you know 4 5 million dollars Travis Hunter good for them good for them Stephen A. Smith, I watch his show quite a bit. Stephen A. entertains me. He's now on with uh, the former Bronco great and Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp a couple of days a week on First Take on ESPN. And they came out, and they both said, and they're buddies uh, of Dion's. They're they're guys that have have been here, (laughs) part of the myriad of celebrities that have uh, adorned the sideline at Buffs games. They're buddies with time, And they both said, as soon as this job came open, man, Texas A&M should, should, you know, buy out Deion Sanders and make him their new head coach down in College Station. I understand being friends with someone, but that is so ill-informed, it, it was almost making me scream as I listened to it on the couch. Jimbo Fisher recruited exceptionally well. Talent or lack thereof is not the issue at Texas A&M. The Aggies, I think, the last four or five years under Jimbo Fisher, have had top five recruiting classes every year. In fact, their recruiting class, I believe, two years ago, was ranked by Rivals or two four seven as the greatest collection of high school talent ever. He's rated number one all time. He has been able to recruit. They haven't won to the level of the outsized expectations in College Station, Texas. They also play in the SEC. And this, this whole thing is going to continue for certain schools going forward. We're winning nine games, even 10 games. If you're not winning a national championship, we're not in that title game every three or four years. See, Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, there's people who want to run them off there. It's crazy. Now, getting back to Dion, he ain't going to College Station. They'd be foolish to call. And I'm so excited overall about the change and the relevance now to the University of Colorado's football program. They've won four games. They've lost six. They got off to a marvelous start. What is Dion's greatest strength right now? What What can we ascertain from from watching this unfold over the college football season and the off season leading into it that young men are attracted to Dion Sanders' program? Outstanding football players seemingly want to play for him. He has a magnetism. He is a very good recruiter. That is his number one strength. If you watch the games, he is not a great game day coach yet. He is not a great manager of the clock, and there have been some times you scratch your head strategically, like when they hadn't done anything offensively and he decided to throw the football with 37 seconds left in the first half from his own five-yard line. And uh, ultimately, because of quick incompletions, he had to punt the football away two weeks ago and gave Oregon State uh, an opportunity to score a touchdown. So instead of seven to three at halftime, it was 14 to three. He is not a great game day coach yet. He's inexperienced. It's not a lifelong indictment. From a coaching standpoint, he is still a relative novice. Coached in high school, coached a couple years at Jackson State, where they had more talent, to his great credit, than most everyone they played. And now he has stepped it up a level. And we see that, again, his, his best strength is attracting talent. So the fit at College Station doesn't make sense, number one. And number two, as I've said before, I'm not convinced he wants to go anywhere. I'm not convinced that he doesn't think that this is a great place to be, Boulder, Colorado. And, and of course, in terms of him leaving this year, that hasn't even gotten into the fact that he wants to coach his, his two sons and Travis Hunter as well moving forward. And that would complicate things if all of a sudden he packed his bags and went somewhere else. So I ain't buying that. And it's not, that that wouldn't be a good move if you're an Aggie fan. They got talent down there. But they're running into the same thing that every other name school in the SEC runs into. It's hard to win week in and week out. Georgia's on a great run. Alabama has had an historic run over the last decade plus. That conference, I mean, is a gauntlet. Quick, other notes on college football: Air Force. I didn't see them losing at Hawaii. That's a tough place to go. It's a long trip, etc. They had the the rough, rough outing against Army at uh, in power Field. Thought they would bounce back. They did not. And now they're eight and two. Uh, tip of the cap to Colorado State. They had, going into last week's San Diego State game, they had three games left, all uh, on paper winnable to get the 6-6 and in bowl eligibility. They hung on. They had a big lead against San Diego State, had to hang on late, but they did. So now one down, two to go. Uh, The two remaining games for them at home against Nevada, a team that uh, they'll be uh, a heavy favorite against. And then they have to go to Hawaii And again, if they take care of business against Nevada, um, that game will be to become bowl eligible, be a nice uh, step uh, in in a positive direction for Jay Norvell. Uh, First things first, Nevada, and then it'll be a tough one. Even though Hawaii doesn't have a pretty record, you're going out to the island and uh, never easy. Okie doke. Um, Clint Hurdle has been on this program before. Uh, I always enjoy talking about uh, baseball with Clint, but even more than that, I enjoy talking about life and how we're motivated and and different philosophies, if you will. And so Clint and I sat down, and as opposed to talking about what he's been doing, and that is. Uh, checking out and and working with Rockies minor leaguers the last couple of years as a special assistant to Billy Schmidt, Um, I wanted to talk to him about the wisdom he's gained in his life through baseball. And I will also make note, as we tape this on Tuesday afternoon, Clint's name has been mentioned quite a bit. As the potential bench coach for Ron Washington, now that Ron Washington, who is very close with Clint, has been named manager of the Angels. As of this taping, Clint Hurdle is still employed by the Rockies. But as I said, we sat down and we talked about a lot of things in life, and and some certainly have a lot to do with baseball. But uh, Clint's a fascinating guy, so I think uh, you'll enjoy this conversation. You know what? You and I have known each other a long time. And as many baseball conversations as we've had, I've also uh, enjoyed many of the life conversations. I consider you, and I say this not to embarrass you, I consider you a very deep thinker. Was the 28 or even 38-year-old Clint Hurdle as deep a thinker about the world around you as you are today?
1: No. No. I was I was like a first responder. I was the dog with the frisbee I was you know if it's shiny and it's moving I'm probably gonna chase it for a little, little while. I was a, an avid reader I was good in school, I was studious i was I've always been a learner however, that wasn't my foundation. my foundation was I'm young, I'm out of the house you know I got a little money in my pocket I was a little footloose and carefree, probably more so than anything. But over time, life, through the experiences of life and challenges and ups and downs and sideways, I've I've become a much more uh, slow, slow reaction guy, think it through, give it some thought. I'm using my eyes and my ears more than my mouth. It used to be opposite. My mouth would run first before my eyes or my ears even got put into play. Was there a seminal moment? There was probably a few of them, Drew, and probably they kept coming because I wasn't listening as well. You know, the, I I, start, I was introduced to hard early. The cover of Sports Illustrated, a lot was expected. That never matched up to my performance on the field. Um, so I challenged my ways to be a funny guy or a guy everybody liked. And truthfully, it's something I battled for a long time was just I was a people pleaser. I wanted everybody to like me. And, when, and I found out multiple times that that's the quickest way to get people probably not to like you. And I can remember back in the day where there was the, one of the first seminal moments I got where look, this people pleasing thing doesn't work. And I said it, I think my rookie year, I said, if I was to do everything everybody said I was going to do, I would win the triple crown. I'd donate a million dollars to cancer and I'd marry Marie Osmond. I mean, that, <laughs> what kind of where that came from, but it, it was mine. I owned it. But that's what was like. no, It didn't seem to matter what I did. It wasn't enough for somebody. And that I took it personal. So I was always trying to outperform myself or, you know, Don Quixote. Right. You know, I'm fighting windmills. And then, you know, over time, and I didn't learn it then, but I kept th- those lessons keep coming. When you don't learn a lesson the first time, what happens? You get the lesson again wrapped in a different package. And it took a long time for me to understand that Clinton, until you find a way to make yourself happy, you won't make anybody else around you happy. And that's kind of where I got to a little bit later than most.
0: You know, it's interesting. I don't think I've ever asked you this um, because so much was expected athletically. And though you still are a needle in a haystack and you played a long time in the big leagues, but may- maybe not the role that you had envisioned for yourself or others. Are there, is there any point in time or have you let that go completely or do you go, man, I, if, I wish I would have done this?
1: You know, I don't. I wrestled with it for a while, and I had some really good people in my life that spoke truth to me. And, you know, my faith plays a big part of my life. And it was actually a scout that signed me along the way as I got older, but he was one of the ones that re, replanted something I, I should have learned early enough and lived better. But he goes, Bill Fisher was his name. He passed five years ago. Uh, lifelong pitching coach, fantastic baseball man but he he scouted me in high school. the Royals signed me. I ended up playing in the Reds he was a pitching coach. I ended up doing a lot of things to stayed in touch with fish and it was about it was after the World Series one run in Colorado that he goes he goes I got to tell you a funny story he just called me up one day because I thought I signed a number one pick a guy that was going to be a really good ball player. I signed a damn good manager And he meant it as a compliment he didn't mean it as a but it was at that time that you know when you think back, if I would have been any different than I was as a player, would the second part of my career ever even happened? I was a hitting coach for five years in the big leagues. I played 10. I was a major league manager for 17 years, which still blows a lot of people's mind, including mine. So I really believe, you've heard me say before, we're prepared for our future from our past if we've paid attention. And there were times I didn't pay attention, and more so of late, I paid better attention. I do believe that's one of the reasons... To manage 17 year, years in the big leagues for two organizations, never won a World Series, to keep you, one keep you for eight, one keep you for nine, you must be doing some things that at least the ownership thinks is good, the general manager thinks are good, the players respond to. So I believe that my path was hard early to maybe put me in a position to help coaches and players later. That's the way I look at it now.
0: I've got to ask you a twofold. It's a, it's really a secondary question, but first, tell the story because it's such a wonderful one. On when you became a manager, and in your wildest dreams, a hitting coach. Did you ever believe, hey, one day I will manage? I'm suited to manage at the big league level. But but take us through the first part of the day because it's it's still marvelously entertaining.
1: I've got so many entertaining stories of life that you know that you can laugh at or with me about. But that one, I mean, I was in my fifth year. Uh, I did two with Baylor. I did one with Jim Leland, and I was doing my second with Buddy. Hitting coach, big league hitting coach. And the hitting coach thing was something I i took my job seriously. I didn't take myself serious because most of the players I've worked with were way better hitters than I ever was. But we had some success. We had some success because we were at Coors Field, but we still did things that were pretty impressive. And that year, we weren't not hitting the ball; we weren't doing much well offensively. We were ten games under five hundred. had been a couple times where Dan would say, "Hey, can I get you tomorrow for such and such?" And truthfully, be said, I'd say, "What time tomorrow?" And he said, "I got an opening at 2. I go, "I'm sorry, I got a dental appointment." I got. It. I said, "Is it pressing?" And he'd always say, "Well, something late or something." You know, I'm on the hot seat here. He, he wants to get down and have one, because Dan was good having a conversation and tell you where you, you weren't showing up or where we weren't showing up. Another time it happened, finally the third time he goes, I need to see you this morning. And I go, Dan, I'm I'm doing this book reading and whatever it was, elementary school. And I said, I won't be done until so and so. And I'm gonna be over here at this part of town. He goes, Well, don't you live over there? I go, Yeah, he goes, I'll drive over to your your place. And I'm thinking, Oh my. The general manager is going to drive to my town home to see me like at 10 o'clock, don't worry. Not good. <laughs> this can't be good. I mean, it's never happened to me before, but the team's not doing well. We're not hitting. It's Coaches go before managers and players. and It's just the way it is. So Dory comes in. He, he goes through all the hard that we're doing. And he said, I had a hard decision today. I called my dad before this meeting, too, and told my dad, I'm getting fired today. And my dad's like, oh, really? You know, like, gosh, yeah, I know things haven't been well. And, but I told my dad, I'm getting fired today. He's coming over. And it's kind of cool, Dad, because I won't have to go in the locker room and get fired and pack my bag in front of everybody and walk out. Right. The walk of shame. I, I'd done it before. It's never good, never fun. But Dan comes in, sits down, and, you know, r- runs through the first 50 games of the season. And, and he goes, I had to do something really hard this morning. He said, I let Buddy go, and I'm thinking, I'm next right. and he goes and, I, and now we need to talk about you and I'm the yeah <laughs> and he goes i really I'd, interu- I'd really like you to step in and be the interim manager never saw it coming no clue nothing I mean this is a blind side blind spot as I've ever had in my life when he told me that I probably just punched out I don't even know what he said afterwards because I can remember come, like, coming, coming to and going <laughs> well, I'm sorry what was that and he walked me through and, oh, this, here's what we need, and I've got to get a decision, and, you know, we got a to game today. And I said, okay, slow it, run me through this again. What, what are you asking of me? And he told me what he was asking of me, and I, was, I couldn't even spit. Right. My mouth was dry, my stomach's upside down. And I said, well, yeah. I had had an interview maybe the winter before with the Diamondbacks. And being interviewed for a major league manager's job, that was overwhelming. There was like 15 people in the room, and I knew one thing. I knew that it was a very interesting job. I didn't think I was ready. If I thought I was ready for it going in, I knew I wasn't ready for it by all the questions <laughs> I got thrown I mean, all the things you had to think about. So, I, you know, it was cool that I got interviewed. I didn't get the job. Joe Jr., Gary we're friends to this day, but oh, you did a great job. Roland Heeman, I mean, big time people. Sandy Johnson, you know, you finished second. Yeah, everybody finishes second and when he right. doesn't get the job. Yeah. So, Dan asking me was like, completely baseball punt, out of left field. And we got done. I shook his hand. I thanked him for the opportunity. I said, I'll do the best I can and just help me along the way. Um, And I picked up the phone and I called my dad. He's like, what? I said, yeah. I said, I'm thinking I'm going to go home. I said, I'm managing the team tonight. You and mom got to get out of here. They ran to Orlando. They caught a flight that day. They were there for the game that night. And then, you know, like 17 years later, I stopped. You know, one year off in between, I was in Texas, but never saw it coming. Never had thought, oh, I need to manage or I'm ready to manage. Never, I never did. I needed all the reps I had in the minor league, six years of managing with the Mets, and then the time I spent with the Rockies, a hitting coach, to put myself in that position to kind of, okay, when I get in the front of that room today, I got to own the room. And, and I got to let the players know I need their help. and I got to let the coaches know I need their help.
0: You know what? Uh, first of all, I didn't realize – I've known that story, obviously, because I've known you forever. But I didn't realize that mom and dad, just like Major League debut as a player, mom and dad came out for managerial debut. Yes. Pretty cool. Interesting stuff. It's,
1: priceless. it's absolutely priceless. You yeah. know my dad, my mom. and My dad's going to be 90 this January. My mom's 88. To this day, if you talk bad about her son, my mom will cut you. And to this day she tells me, give it everything you got. I'm making these Myrley trips and I'll tell her I'm leaving town for three days and she tells me, Give it everything you got. Still that's awesome. and my dad, I mean, he's been my best my, my best friend for ever. And- he
0: he he didn't like me initially because I hit him in the elbow twice at fantasy camp, but that's that's a complete aside. Now again, knowing what an avid reader you are, what a consumer of the world and, and- kind of looking at the world globally, you have, I don't know, at that point Dan leaves, let's call it 11 in the morning, Dan leaves your house. Did you start taking notes on what I'm going to – you have to to talk to your team now. What was the next whatever, Clint, two hours like prior to you driving down to the ballpark?
1: I called my dad and I called a couple other people in my life that I had leaned into at specific times, baseball-related, And I just made some notes and I didn't, I wasn't going to go three, five pages. I had an index card because I wanted to be brief, be bright and be on. And I made a point of, I wanted to honor Buddy because unfortunately we're here for the wrong reason. We're here because a good baseball man got fired today. And I don't get it sometimes, but sometimes I can understand from the player perspective, You, you guys will feel like you got a clean slate. I'll honor that. You do. I do I'm gonna but I told him again I'm gonna need your help and I'm gonna need the coach's help and I believe that that we're a much better team As our managers kept telling you we're a better team than what we're playing how do we get that out how, how do we find a way and I just one of the things I'd really like you to think about is when you come in tomorrow when we're gonna play the game tonight I hope you have some fun because the one thing I've experienced on teams that I've been on The good teams, we celebrate each other's successes really well. I've been on teams where we didn't celebrate each other's successes very well. And just moving forward, I'd really like to see you guys have some more fun, play the game, not instead of work the game, and celebrate each other's successes more. That was it.
0: Was that your continuing mantra, or what did you add to the list with the success you had with the Rockies, and then ultimately turning around a – a moribund i I paused there for a second but really pittsburgh was and then you you know next several years once you got it going postseason 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 what did you add to the list when you look at the important things to manage a baseball team specifically and very quickly you had very strong football background in high school you were, you were quarterback. You were very good. So you understand that coaching football is, I would say this is dramatically different just comparing the two sports, than managing a baseball team. You're not going to win every game. You know from day one, you ain't going 162-0. and 0. So what have you gleaned from that, and what do you take forward as to why you've been successful?
1: I, I try to keep it simple because I was always through school, really smart people kept things really simple. You want to talk to people and with people, not at people and over their head. I didn't need to be a word sell. I I didn't didn't need to be a thesaurus. I, I needed to be able to make sense in short sentences and sequences. And I needed to earn their trust because back in the day, you gave people your trust, just the way you're brought up, and that dynamic changed. So I started sharing right away, like I had three questions that I developed as a kid and that I put into play once I started managing. That I wanted to help players give answers to players and coaches. Can I trust you? Can you make me better? Do you care about me? Do I use that for 17 years. Earn their trust first. Let them know I care more about them than they get. Good first step quickness. Their middle of the lineup hitter. His spin rate is this. He pitches better when we're ahead than when we're behind. When we're ahead. I said all the baseball things. I wanted to find coins. I wanted to find hobbies. I wanted to find connectors where I can walk up to them, and they don't drop their head and go, "Oh crap, here comes Clint." It's like, wonder what he's got for me today. And we can talk about my dog. We can talk about my wife. We can talk about you know hunting. I just try to to know them, paint the picture, because you're an athlete. You know anybody that's been an athlete. Truthfully, anybody that's been a student or a learner, you don't trust people. You don't learn or let them coach you up until you trust them. Mm-hmm. So I told them, I said, I'm going to earn your trust. With some of you, it may come quicker than others. Maybe some of you, maybe it didn't come at all. I don't know, but I want to earn your trust. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to show my actions to earn your trust. Then I believe I need to show you I care about you more than just what your skill set is. But if there's going to be situations off the field that we can help with, we want to be a part of that. We want to make you a better person. If you're a good human being, there's a chance you've got to be, to, to be your best ball player. If you're not a good human being, the skill sets, yeah. nobody cares. And the fact that once I earn the trust, there's going to be coaching opportunities. Then we're going to prove to you we can help you by because we think we're good coaches. Right. And I think I've got good coaches on the team. That's really the, the, the three that I really worked at for the rest of my time in Colorado and then took into Pittsburgh. And we got pretty good at running the plays in Pittsburgh that way. Yeah.
0: You know, a guy that's, I've always, I've gotten to know him a little bit because he's had a hell of a career and you got to manage him for a significant period of time. I've always been fascinated by Andrew McCutcheon. Great player. You know, probably, uh, yeah, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. You know, probably, if he's not a Hall of Famer, he's Hall of Very, Very Good, which I may be stealing one of your lines. I think, uh, uh, and I do steal your lines, by the way, once in a while, because, uh, and, and that's, uh, that's a, well, that, all right. that's a compliment. It's a compliment. But anyhow, Andrew McCutcheon, interesting cat, isn't he?
1: He is such a good person. People have – most people don't know how funny he is. He's got a dry sense of humor. He's a great impersonator. Oh, really? Oh, voices. Didn't he do you at some point? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's, that's another story. I'll tell you that story, but creative artist – dancer, singer. I mean, some of the stuff you've seen him post on Twitter. I mean, he's just... He's a good person, good baseball player. I met him when he was single. I met him when he was dating Maria. I met him before they had kids. I walked him through kids. It was kind of funny because we really would bond the first of every season because while I was there, the nine years I was there, Andrew never had a good April. And I would tell him, this is the month you and I get close because I can relate to your April every year. That was (laughs) what I did. I can't relate to the gold gloves or the silver sluggers or the all-star games. Or, but that was a time I was always able to show up for him and say, Hey, look, you're going to show people more what you're made of through April than you are through June, July, and August, right. because you're getting to do hard now in front of everybody. And whether you like it or not, there's a lot of people in the city think you're the leader. And it was, he embraced it. He wanted to win. He wanted to play. He was a good teammate. But I can remember at one point in time, it was after the 13 season when he was the dapper Dan winner, all the awards started coming his way. And I thought I knew him pretty well because I would tell people, "What do you think, Andrew McCutcheon? I'd say I'd, I'd hit him third and let him date my daughter. I, I can't pay a, a player anymore two compliments, and that. But he said, "I, I want." And he, I think he put it like he says, "I want to share. I want to share with you all, but I want to tell my manager. I know I'm finally arrived here in Pittsburgh because nobody called me Larry Fitzgerald anymore." And I almost spit the water out of my mouth. If anybody can remember what Larry Fitzgerald looked like, he had the dreads, the long hair. He's an African American. Andrew said the first. couple years he's in Pittsburgh every week. hey Larry how you doing hey he went to Pitt sense of humor was always there the skill set he worked hard at getting better he was a very reflective guy another very deep, deep thinker good writer but I watched him grow up right in front of my eyes and it's one of the guys I still stay in touch with today congratulate him along the way and it's kind of funny because he'll send me things that to this day if somebody left he'll tweet things or he'll sports related in Pittsburgh he'll say well I can remember the day, my man, you know, Clint Hurdle. And he, he, it's been a relationship that's been meaningful because he reaches back. And he's thankful for lessons learned or hard times we went through together. And he'd be one of the ones, i, could, I tell you, that we've done hard together. And that's usually when you get to know somebody best is, is when you do hard together.
0: Tell me that story again, though. Uh, he impersonated you in front of the club?
1: I I had this crazy idea. Well, we would have our, pre-game me- our pre-series meetings, and each coach would get two minutes talk about what went well, what didn't go well, just in front of the team, and we'd go. And there was times when the players had had enough of it, and you know, sometimes the wraparound series we, we wouldn't have, but they were coaching me up as well. And I said, well, we're going to have one. i just throw it out there. You know, the last season, we haven't played the Milwaukee, so when we play Milwaukee, we're going to have a refresher. It's the end of the season, and it looked like it was going to be a meaningful series. But I'm like, no, you know what? The last series of the year, you guys put together the, the meeting. You players hold the meeting. You can have whatever kind of meeting you want. I'm saying this at one of the meetings. And I had some coaches come and go, what are you doing? That could turn out to be. I go, it's going to be what it is. It turned out to be the Brewers for four games, and if we won three, we had home field for the for the, play, for the wild card. If we didn't, we don't have it. And they're like, so what are you? Are we going to have a scouting report? Or I go, no, players are leading the meeting. Each one of the players impersonated one of the coaches right. and it just got funnier and fun the terms we we had used all year right. they they regurgitate the mannerisms some sometime it was costume but Andrew got up and did me people were crying they were laughing so hard <laughs> he's relating story after cuz I would like to tell a story here my son Christian and, and about Matty. i mean he was just bringing it all together right. And I always end up, I can't wait to watch you guys, I can't wait to watch you guys go out and play. I'd always end it that way. And when he put it that way, the whole place, you know, just erupted. But he mimicked me, made fun of me. We go out and we win all four games. And the coaches, it was a good lesson for the coaches because they were they wanted to pull it back in a little bit and saying, hey, we can't I dude, it. it's their deal. They're, they're playing the game. But Andrew let it.
0: I will bring it. I, don't, I, I can't say this is full circle because I don't know what this is, but we, uh, you used to be here all the time. We're down at Fantasy Camp, and you're back in a role that uh, you handle very, very well, uh, as you always have, um, Fantasy Camp Commissioner. What do you learn? What have you learned as a Fantasy Camp Commissioner through the years? And I know you're entertained during the five days that uh, we're all down in Scottsdale.
1: I do have a blast. Um the one thing that I, I I love to share with anybody that would listen is what I why I enjoy this so much. I love watching you all get to do what I got to do and what I still get to do and love it as much as I do.
0: Just not as good as you all did it.
1: <laughs> but that's the part when it becomes so authentic is that the courage it takes for many of you all to go out there and play. And whether you, don't, you play well or you don't play well, but whatever happens, because some silly stuff happens. I mean, you went on the ground yesterday, and you couldn't get up. Did you ever imagine there would be a day you fall on the ground and couldn't get up? We don't think about those things. All right. happens to me daily now. Right. But just the things, I mean, to strike out and to throw your bat and then to, to kick your bat, and then, but you're going to the wrong dugout. You're not even going to the right dugout. <laughs> For a guy to bust out, he's got a pinch runner, so he's hurt, right? He can't run, so he gets a hit. He beats the pinch runner to first base. But he's supposedly, (laughs) things happen every day that you've never seen before. But the way you all lay it out there and the way you you are joyous when you win and you're sad when you lose. I mean, some of them, you know, they get dejected. It's hard. But I just love it because you're in that space. And I love seeing people in that space. And I love to see the courage a lot of people show in this space and in their authenticity. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the the uh, the 60-year-old has the same brain, not the same uh, agility as the 20-year-old, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it's great. Clint, always enjoy it, man. Best of luck.
1: Thank you, Drew. Thank you very much.
0: You know, Clint told me a couple of years ago he had no desire really to get back into uniform. I, I think for anyone who has been in uniform... In baseball, in particular, for as long as he has, um, and, and the competition each and every night, there's still a, there, there's always an allure. And in the case of Ron Washington, they they go way back. And I know that he feels he needs to listen and go through the interview process, and then make a determination if now is the right time. And if he does, in fact, want to get back in uniform and and be the bench coach uh, uh, for Ron Washington, who is uh, most entertaining. And uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. And perhaps uh, when you listen to this, there will have been a decision by Clint uh, one way or another. Uh, I do know this much. I was with Clint when His phone was blowing up, and there were reports nationally that Clint Hurdle had already taken the job, and that was uh, the farthest thing from the truth. And that's one of my issues, by the way, with uh, journalism today, or lack thereof of journalism. used to be you had to have two good sources. Now people just throw things out on social media in the uh, interest of, quote-unquote, being first, and accuracy be damned. I wish Clint all the best. Um, selfishly, I hope he's with the Rockies because he can bring a lot to the table. He can bring a ton to the table. He already has. In fact, uh, after year one, they expanded his role a little bit uh, moving around the minor leagues. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a good fit. It's a valuable fit. Um, but as a friend, I, I wish the best for Clint and whatever he uh, wants to pursue uh, moving forward congrats, you know, in in a certain way to Nolan Jones. He didn't win the National League Rookie of the Year. You knew going into the uh, offseason he wasn't going to be the National League Rookie of the Year. Corbin Carroll, unanimous selection, as he should be after a, a great first year for Arizona. And it's voted upon, by the way, before the postseason takes place. So he didn't get additional consideration because his team ended up in the World Series. But Corbin Carroll had 25 home runs, more than 50 stolen bases, batted 285. Uh, he was impactful uh, from from the jump street. First half of the season, you can make a pretty uh, sizable argument that he could be in consideration um, for you know top three in the MVP race in the National League. He was that good. But Nolan Jones finished fourth in the Rookie of the Year voting. And it, going forward, I think it'll be interesting to see how that class— you know, how it plays out, you know, three or four years from now, you know, who would you rather have? Corbin Carroll, Nolan Jones. And and that's not to disparage Corbin Carroll. I think he's going to be a really good player for a long period of time. I also think Nolan Jones has a chance to be a tremendous player for a long period of time. But I wanted to make mention of that. I don't know if you uh, caught that. Um, Gunnar Henderson, by the way, in the American League uh, was the unanimous selection uh, there as well. As we tape today, the Avs had bounced back 5-1 win uh, over the Kraken after losing 8-2 to the Blues on Saturday, and I know it's really early, and we won't even remember this in March and certainly early April as the Avs prepare uh, for the Stanley Cup playoffs, but they're, they're 9-5, and and yet they've had some bad losses. I don't mean like, hey, they lost 3-2 to or 2 to 1 puck didn't go in or maybe they had a, somewhat of a lackluster effort. They've gotten their doors blown off in a few games this year. 7 nothing to Vegas, 8 to 2 as I just mentioned uh to St. Louis and coach Bednar after the loss on Saturday, he's always usually cool, calm and collected. I mean, he went off. He was pissed understandably. He said that was the worst effort, particularly in the third period, that he'd ever seen an avalanche team have. He questioned their effort. He questioned a lot of things. Um, they got the message. They bounced back. We'll see how it is sustained um, moving forward. But they, uh, again, beat the Kraken 5-1 to one, um, on Monday night. Uh, newsflash, Nikola Jokic remains the best player in the NBA and getting better. Did want to make mention of that. Oh, here's a by the way. I was with Clint all last week. That's when we taped it because we were at Fantasy Camp. Clint, back with the club, um, rekindling his position as commissioner of Fantasy Camp. If you ever have an opportunity to go to Fantasy Camp, I implore you to do it. You'll laugh. uh, You'll have just a great time. You'll be sore as shit for God knows how long. I'm, I'm still working out the kinks from that. From that week, um, the body uh, doesn't quite recover like it uh, used to, but I've been going to fantasy camp for 20 years. I've made so many great friends there. Um, it, it's great to compete again and and have fun and, and, and get in the batter's box again. And uh, it's amazing because people get after it still. And there's a whole wide mix and wide age range, but Rocky's fantasy camp is top shelf. And, um, so if you have an opportunity down the road, it's, uh, it's well worth it. We'll do it again in seven days. I tell you that, uh, every week, I appreciate your listenership and your allegiance. Tell your friends, stay safe, stay well, everybody. Talk to you soon.